So I, there's a, some of you listen to Alistair Begg probably. I love a phrase that Alistair always has. The main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And it doesn't get any plainer or mainer than what we're gonna talk about this morning. That is trust in the Lord. Why we should trust in the Lord and how it affects our lives. That's as plain and main as it comes in the scriptures. So I don't have the theme written on your notes, but the theme of my lesson this morning is trusting in the Lord is the way of the faithful who will serve him wholeheartedly and see his good hand of providence on their lives. So if you've got your Bibles, if you're not there already, let's look at Proverbs chapter three. So we're coming to this beautiful proverb, Proverbs chapter three. So I'm gonna read the first 12 verses as we get started. So Proverbs chapter three, starting in verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So we're not gonna look at the entire chapter. I didn't even read the last 20 or so verses of this proverb. There's so much in this proverb. But we're going to dwell down and focus on verses five and six. Let me come back and read those again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We're gonna focus on these verses because these two verses are key for Solomon's admonitions to his son. You remember he's writing these words of wisdom and admonition to his son because it's only as a person trusts in the Lord that they will be able to do these things and live in wisdom, peace, and grace that the Lord purposes for his people. Just a minute, I'm gonna back up here because I don't want the Wachtels and everybody else who are on the front row to have to crane their neck <laughs> for 50 minutes, you know? So let me just move up here. How's that? That's better, right? Okay, good, 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 good. Not that I'm afraid of you guys, okay. <laughs> So the key theme of these verses is trust in the Lord. So I hope that in the next 45 minutes or so that we're gonna be able to consider in depth what trust in the Lord means and how it affects our lives, our ways and our paths as Solomon says to his son. So we're gonna look at trust from the scriptures, not just the Proverbs, but we're gonna look at a lot of scriptures, the Psalms too and the New Testament. And we're gonna to try to build a biblical theology so that we may be reminded of who God is and why he should be trusted. So let's just talk a minute about trust in general. So if you think about it, trust is key to all of our human relationships, isn't it? Whether that's marriage or friendship or business, out in society trust is critical, a society's gonna function. And especially in the church, trust is critical, isn't it? So if we think about society, some leaders of organizations are called what? Trustees, right? And they're entrusted for, to care for the organization. You wouldn't want to call them the crooks, right? You, we call them the trustees because they're entrusted with that leadership and responsibility of the organization. So I know it's, you're gonna laugh, but even our currency still says, in God we trust on it, doesn't he? Because there was a Christian threat at one point in our nation where people actually did trust in the Lord. So also, you know, we trust in everything in life. Think about 
where you're sitting this morning. We trust the architects and the builders who constructed this building that they knew what they were doing and that this whole thing is not gonna fall down on it. How do we know? We don't know, but we trust them. We trust them because of their qualifications and all of those things that we're safe in this environment, right? Think about, even I think about my profession, think about the surgeon. Just as you go under anesthesiology, right, you have to put your trust in that surgeon. You trust that surgeon because he or she, based on their training or the reviews or the reputation, you know them, but you're putting your hand into their, your life into their hands, basically. You're trusting them with something very great, your life. So we have to have trust in society and in our lives or else we can't function. We wouldn't sit in this building if we didn't trust, right? So how do we gain trust? How do we gain trust in someone? Just anybody. Experience. Experience, yeah, exactly. Seeing their actions, their way of life, right? Somebody else? Yeah, credentials, like we were just talking about, like the surgeon, you may see a CV and where he trained, or the airline, well, you don't know the airline pilot, but you hope he's <laughs> credentialed. Right, but their credentials, their background. You might know their reputation, right? You might read their reviews. That helps us, right? When we read reviews of something, we get the reputation and the understanding. So their credentials, their reputation, their character, thinking about all these things too about God, we're gonna talk about in just a moment. Let's talk about rebuilding trust too because that's one of the most difficult things in the world when trust is lost, right? When rebuilding trust when it's been lost is very difficult in any kind of relationship because when we trust, we do what? We let our guard down and we make ourselves vulnerable. We're all in usually if we're trusting, right? Because Solomon's gonna say this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, you're gonna be all in on this. But that makes us vulnerable because we're investing our security and our hopes in someone or something and we're depending on them in that relationship to protect us and have our best interests in mind. That's that altruism that professionals have, right? That they're there to take care of you. But that's what we do in any kind of relationship. We trust that that person has my interests at heart and I can share anything with them. So we have, many, most of us here, I guess, have spouses or I'm sure all of us have best friends with whom we can be vulnerable in these kinds of trusting relationships. Those people in our lives that we can share anything with because we trust them. And we need these relationships and all of the benefits that flow from them. You must have people in your lives that you can trust with the most intimate things of your life. Especially in the church, right? We must have that kind of relationship because Paul commands us that we should bear one another's burdens, that we should love one another and we should care for one another. That's why we have to have trust and build that trusting relationship in the church, but especially we must build trust in the Lord, right? Because that is how we see all the benefits that flow from his hand if we commit wholeheartedly, 100% in, our trust in the Lord. So now let's kind of think about trusting in God. So trusting in God, first off, is an essential aspect of our faith, isn't it? We don't have faith unless we trust. We trust wholly in God, in Christ, in his work, in fact, do you ever use the phrase, have you trusted in Christ for your salvation? I use that frequently just when I'm talking to people, maybe just a casual conversation with a, a, a waitress or somebody at a restaurant. You know, you don't have a lot of time, but sometimes it's that you get into that conversation is, have you trusted in Christ? Are you trusting in him that he died for your sins on the cross? That's trusting in the Lord, right? And there's that old Baptist hymn. I don't know if Roland's here this morning. He's my Baptist buddy, but... That old Baptist hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So why do we trust in God? Why should we trust in God? I say we trust in God because of who he is. And I'll think about this. Let's just think deeply about God for a moment. We trust in God because of his glory, his perfections, his omnipotence, his 
eternal power, his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his goodness, his justice, his righteousness, his omniscience, his wisdom, his holiness, his patient long suffering. He is omnipresent, it means he's everywhere present. That means he has his eye on us. We're gonna read a few of the Psalms in just a moment. He has his eye on us and that doesn't mean he's just there to spy us out, he's there to see us because he provides for us, because he cares for us. Anytime in the scriptures when it says God sees us, it means he's seen because he provides for us and he cares for us. And you have to think about this. He is this way from all eternity. God is the big I word. He's immutable. He does not change. God has been like this before he created the heavens and the earth. God has been like this from all eternity and he doesn't miss a beat. He will be like this going forward in all eternity. When, they're, when we're there with him, when we're there as the saints of God before his throne, he will be this way. We will never have that situation with God where something in him, some fault, some imperfection in him has caused us to lose trust in him. Think about that, that's very different than human relationships, right? Because no matter how good we are, no matter how kind and like, we're humans. We're still sinners sometimes, you know? We still sometimes operate in the flesh, though we fight it. It's not true with God. None of those things that we just talked about ever miss a beat. Do you think about that? God always sees, he knows today. He knows the pipes in your house. He knows everything. All the needs that we have, he knows them. And he cares for you. He is perfect and always faithful because, you know, as the scriptures say, he cannot deny himself. Even if we are unfaithful, he is always faithful. So, these are important things. We always have to think deeply about God. We're gonna talk about this in a second, but I think this is one reason we don't trust in God because we don't think deeply enough about God, right? We don't think about who he is. We don't remember his character, that he is always there, that he loves us and he gave his son for us. So again, trusting in the Lord is this central command of this proverb. That's why all of these things that Solomon talk about flow from trusting in the Lord because of who he is. There's another interesting point, if you think about it, trust is a critical element and it also becomes a key target of the enemy, right? Of the enemies of God is the trust in him. There's that great story I love in probably know this, 2 Kings 18 and 19, where the armies of Assyria, they had just sacked Israel and carried Israel off into the northern kingdom, off into captivity, and now they've kind of set their sights on Hezekiah and Jerusalem, and they started sacking the cities of Judah, and then they come down to Jerusalem. You guys know this story? How many of you know this story? It's a great story. But they array the armies of Assyria out there in, in front of the walls of Jerusalem. I don't know if you guys are Lord of the Rings fans, but I always think of that, the second Lord of the Rings movie and Helm's Deep and all the armies of Mordor are out there before, before Helm's Deep, you know, and I think that must have been how it was. You know, you had Aragorn and Legolas and all of them dimly up on the walls looking out at that vast army and they're all the soldiers of Judah on the tall walls of Jerusalem looking out at that vast army of Assyria thinking it is coming. It is coming. And uh, so the Rabshakeh, who's the commander, the captain of the Assyrian army, Sennacherib is the king, the Rabshakeh comes, you know, to the, get to the walls and he, in summary, just mocks God. You know, we have sacked all of these cities and they trusted in all of their gods and look at them, you know. Why are you listening to this Hezekiah who's telling you to trust in the Lord? Basically, he's saying, we're gonna do the same thing to you that we did to all of these other cities. So come out with us and we'll take you away to a city where you can have your own wells and honey and all the wonderful things, right? So what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah, you know, was a man after God's own heart. Hezekiah, it says that in 2 Kings 18, because he trusted in the Lord. That's specifically there in 18. So Hezekiah, because of his trust, comes and lays it out before the Lord and says, Lord, this is what's happened, they're here, they're going, this is what they're saying. And, and in short, 
the Lord answered his prayer, didn't he? The Lord says to him, because you have brought this thing to me, this is what I'm gonna do to the Assyrians. They will not even bring a shield in front of your walls. They will not shoot an arrow over your walls. Can you imagine this? And so what happened? The angel of the Lord did what? Do you guys know? 185,000 dead Assyrians <laughs> the next morning, right? So the angel of the Lord went out among the camp of the Assyrians and slew 180, I don't know how big their army was, but 185,000 is a lot of dead Assyrians. So they turned their tail and ran, and lo and behold, Sennacherib's sons actually murdered him too shortly after that. So trusting in the Lord and the Lord delivered. So it's always a target of the enemies. And that's a target in us sometimes, the doubt that comes because those thoughts will come in our mind. Can the Lord deliver? Can the Lord do this? Is this thing too hard? But what does the Lord ask? He asks that we lay it out before him, that we trust him and see his hand of deliverance. Okay, so let's turn to verse five after that long introduction, but let's look at verse five. 5a, trust in the Lord. So what is, we've been talking a lot about this word trust, but just a couple of words. Just what does this word trust mean? What are a few synonyms for this word trust? Great, who said that? Oh, good, thank you. Yes, confidence, that's a very good word. Reliable, yes, thanks, Joseph. Consistent, Galen, yeah, good, thanks. How about feel secure? Feel secure is another word. Or to have hope, right? To have hope, that's a good synonym. What else, anyone else have one? Fidelity, Fidelity. yes, faithfulness, good. In fact, the way words are used sometimes, this Hebrew word can be used actually for to be bold. It's to have that confidence, that hope, that fidelity, that trust, that security, that you can be bold in your actions because of the security that trust gives us. So all of these definitions have these things in common. Our confidence, our security, our protection, and our relief from fear and anxiety. That's what the Lord gave Hezekiah, was relief from fear and anxiety. So let's look at some scriptures, and I gave you a lot of scriptures, trust me, we're not gonna, here we are, trust, trust me. We're not going to look at all of these scriptures, but I wanted us to look at a few Psalms and think about a few New Testament verses this morning to think about what the scriptures specifically teach us about why we should trust in the Lord. So the first Psalm I'm gonna look at is Psalm 13. Now I gave you all these references, and trust me, there are many, many, many more references about trust. Uh, that I'm going to read this morning, but I gave them to you just for reference because they're rich, rich verses. So Psalm 13, I'll read verses four through six. Lest my enemies say, I have overcome him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in thy loving kindness my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So the context of this is David's enemies. But why does David say in this psalm, in these verses, why he trusts in the Lord? Verse five, it's right there. Yeah, he rescues. And he says specifically, I have trusted in what? Thy loving kindness, right. And that loving kindness is a critical word in the Old Testament. That's God's covenant love. It's a specific word that David uses again and again and again in the Old Testament. It's this word, the Hebrew word chesed. It means a covenant eternal love. It's the covenant love he has for his people. This was for his people Israel. And now that we've been engrafted in by the blood of Jesus Christ, this is his covenant love for us. This is the love that will never be broken, that will never go back on. It is his covenant love. And David says, he falls back on that again and again and again. Lord, your promised covenant eternal love for me. That's why I trust in you. Okay, flip back one page, Psalm 9, verse 10. 
and those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken those who forsake, who uh, seek thee. Okay, so what does David say in this verse? Why trust? Yes, excellent, James, yeah. They, they know who God is, and he uses that word, what word? Because they trust in his what? Oh, yeah, I see it. I see people mouthing it, and I hear James saying, name, right? So what does the name of God mean? It's, it's very important in the scriptures when we talk about the name of God. They trust in the name of God. What's wrapped up in that big package of the name of God? Who he is, Brooke, that's right. I'm gonna break all this. <laughs> I'm destined to do it someday. Who he is, that's right. And who he is is based on a lot of things we've been talking about, trust. What's wrapped up in that, who God is? His character, right? His character, his reputation. What, Chris, I'm sorry? His sovereignty, yes, his sovereignty. All of his acts. That's right. What did God declare as he passed by Moses? His name, right, his name, right. That is, that is who he is. Everything about God, everything we've talked about, his character and reputation, it's all wrapped up into his name. We even talk about that on the human term, don't we? We, we tell our kids now, when you go to so-and-so, remember, you're carrying the name of Michaels to with you. <laughs> or the name of Burris, right? Or the name of Wachtel or what, you know. But because it's our character, it's our reputation. Of course, we don't even have a pebble on the beach compared to the name of God, right? But the name of God they trust in because it's all who he is. So when David says we trust in your name, we're trusting in God everything you are and who you are. Okay, Psalm 33. This is your sword drill, but it's not a lot of a sword drill, right? Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. So just stop a moment. Again, the eye of the Lord means he sees, right? He sees. That's every time we read the eye of the Lord is on someone. It means he's watching over us. That's his providential care. It means he sees all the things going on in your life. And he doesn't just see and write them down in his book. He cares. That's why he says he sees. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope for his loving kindness. There's that word again, his covenant love, his loving kindness. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. See, there it is again. He sees his covenant love and he's gonna take care of them, even from their enemies, even when they're in famine and they need food. God's gonna take care of them. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. There it is again, his name, his character, his reputation, all of that. Back to, let's see, forward, Psalm 37, verses one through five. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. So why does he tell us to trust in the Lord in these verses? The context is he's talking about evildoers, right? This is a lot of what's going on sometimes we see in the psalm are the, are the wicked, the wicked who are persecuting the people of God, whether it's the armies of Assyria or just the wicked who live in society among us, who cast aspersions on God. So, so David says what? They're gonna wither like grass. They're gonna fade like the green herb. David says just stand fast. Just trust in God. Live righteous. Live trusting in him and he will care for yourself, delight yourself in him. He will give you your desires of all your heart, commit yourself to him, 
Trust in him and he will do it. He will persevere you through your worst enemies, through the worst things in life. Trust in him. Okay, Psalm 56. We only have a couple more. Then we're gonna talk about a couple of New Testament verses. But I thought these verses give you a good sense of why we trust in the Lord and why, think about Solomon's daddy, (laughs) right? Why Solomon's father, David, trusted in the Lord. Psalm 56, verse three. Oh, I love this verse. How many of you memorized this verse when you were kids? My mother taught me this when I was a young boy, right? When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. What can mere man do to me? The word is just flesh. What can flesh do to me? You think about it. There is nothing that man can do to us. They can kill the body, as the Lord would say, but they cannot cast us into hell. God preserves our soul no matter what happens to us in the life. We have no need to be afraid. God holds us. Whether we're in heaven with him, he holds us. He holds us strongly. Okay, and let's do one more verse in the Old Testament, and we'll look at a couple of new ones. Psalm 62 and verse 5. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So there's the big R word. That's why we trust in the Lord. What is David saying here? Why do we trust? What's that word he repeats? Refuge, right? You ever, many of you have seen that, those pictures or paintings of someone in the big storm, even an animal, a bird, that's just hidden in the cleft of the rock while the storm rages around them. That's the way we look at God. God is the rock, He is the rock that cannot be moved. He is our refuge. We hide in him in the midst of the storms of life and he protects us, he covers us, he cares for us. That's why we trust in God. And that word rock is also very important, right? Because when you think of rock, you think of again, something that is what? Solid, that's right, it's immovable. He's not just a pebble on the beach. He is like a massive mountain granite rock that will never, ever, ever be moved. Therefore, he is a refuge that is always there to protect us. So let's think about a few things from the New Testament too, about why we should trust in the Lord. So I won't read all these verses again, but there's one passage that we should read. Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 25. And although these verses don't use the word trust, that's the heart and soul of these verses. Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus says, and you know, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food? and the body than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, speaking of Proverbs 3, even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's the heart and soul. Our Lord himself says we should be anxious for nothing because again, our heavenly father knows. Our heavenly father sees. And if he sees, he knows, he provides, he cares for us. If he cares for the lilies of the field, he'll care for us. All of our needs, all that we have, he sees, he knows. The other things we need to think about, and I won't read all these verses to you, but God's love for us, his unfailing, unflinchable love for us, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son, Christ was begotten, not made, as the Nicene Creed says. He was with the Father from all eternity. There was no precious possession more that God loved in the Trinity than his own son. But it says that God loved us enough that he gave his only begotten son, that if we believe in him, we might have eternal life. This dovetails with Romans 8.32, which is a verse we should all have locked into our brains. Romans 8.32, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him, how's that verse finish? Freely give us all things. Think about that again. This is what the Lord is teaching us. This is what Jesus was teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord will freely give us all things. In fact, Paul says, God didn't even spare his son because he loved us. He loved us from all eternity. If you know Christ, this is true of you. Think about that. The Father loved you from all eternity enough that he's gonna send the son of his love to die for your sins, to bear your sins, to rise again on your behalf, to secure you in him. And if he's gonna do that, isn't he gonna care about all the little things like, and my wife will laugh, the frozen pipes in your house, right? He is. He is, because he gave his son to die for your sins. Same thing with Romans 5 eight. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And Paul teaches us, this is why Paul teaches us in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplications, let our requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds into Christ Jesus. And then there's another last wonderful verse, Hebrews 13, five. This is a wonderful verse too. As we're thinking about trusting in the Lord and contentment in him. This is just one of these verses that's out there. These, Dusty will get to it. He's, he is gonna get to it soon. This is one of these golden nuggets that's just hidden there in God's word, 13.5. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So all of these things we're talking about, we don't have to worry about money, we don't have to worry about anything else in life because God has promised us he will never leave us or forsake us. So, I wrote a summary bullet point of all these things we've just been saying. Kind of, if we're gonna tie all this up into a nice bow of all the things we've just been talking about, all these things that the scriptures teach us, and there's so much more about why we should do as Solomon says, trust in the Lord. Because of his loving kindness, his covenant love is eternal. He delivers us from destruction and our enemies. What can man do to us? They can kill the body, but not the soul. He will vindicate the righteous. He sees all, knows all, watches all. He provides for our needs. We should not fear evil news. He will never forsake us. He is always with us. He gives grace and glory to us. He does not withhold good from us. He loves us. He sent Christ to bear our sins and their penalty. He chose us from all eternity by his sovereign grace. We are safe in his hands. He tells us to be 
anxious for nothing, and he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. That's the second Peter one verse three passage we didn't read, but he has granted us great and magnificent promises. Ephesians one, all of heaven, the promises he's promised us because of the work of Jesus Christ. So we might ask, in light of this, why do we not trust in God? In light of this compelling case of who he is, we fail though, and why is it? Why do we tend to fail and not trust God? And that's a question, I'm not gonna answer it. <laughs> Brooke? Our, our, yeah, pride, we think we're self-sufficient. That's very good. We fear? Yeah. Despite these promises, fear is innate in us, right? And it's hard to overcome it sometimes, isn't it? I'm sorry? Impatience. Impatience. Oh, that's very good, Derek, yeah. We don't want to wait on God because God's timing is not always our timing, is it? Yeah. We forget. Yeah, isn't that true? We forget God's great and magnificent promises. We forget these truths that we've just been reading in Scripture. That's why we have to be in the Scriptures, don't we? We have to be in the Word. We have to hide God's Word in our heart that it's always there. But you're right, we forget. Yes, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, we trust our feelings. We lose sight of what we need to be doing. We lose sight of the truth of the scriptures because we just trust our emotions and our feelings sometimes. Susan. Kind of in keeping with that, we get our eyes off of God and put it on whatever is our, we're fearful of or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we, we get our eyes off God. Oh, what's the great biblical illustration of that? Peter, right? Yes. He gets out of the boat. <laughs> He's coming to the Lord. And then he looks at the winds and the waves, right? And there he goes, right? But we, that's a good analogy the Lord gave us because that's what we do. We take our eyes off him and we start to sink. Galen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we're coming there next. That's coming there but we do, leaning on our own understanding. That's excellent. So let's, let's move over there and talk about that. First off, let's say, how far should we trust? Solomon says in the second half of this, trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart, right? And so I gave you a good definition. T-W-O-T, twat, by the way, is theological word book of the Old Testament, <laughs> affectionately known as the twat. But It is the totality, the heart of our inner, our immaterial nature, the seat of our will. It's everything, it's our inner soul that Solomon says, we're all in basically, right? We're all in on this, we're totally immersed in trust in the Lord. We don't have 98% trust in the Lord and we're still hanging on to 2% over here of our own understanding, our own strength, but we should be all in in trusting the Lord. And why is that? because he'll never fail, right? He never will fail. He's there, he's always our rock. So, let's come to that verse that Galen just brought up. Verse six, the second half of this. Let me flip back here to Proverbs. Actually, verse five, 5b. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So when we lean on something, we're doing what? We're letting it support us, right? There's that great passage in Judges where Solomon, I mean, uh, uh, Samson, at the end of his life, you know, he's been in prison, his eyes have been gouged out, and he asked the young man, oh, let me just lean on these pillars, right? He just lean, well, he leans on them in a hard way, right? Because he's gonna kill the Philistines. But it's literally leaning, letting something support us. So Solomon is saying, let's not lean on our own understanding. What is our own understanding in this context? Yes, very good, Brooke. The way we see things, maybe our own wisdom, maybe our, you know, our worldly wisdom 
And so this is very important that Solomon is telling us not to lean on our own understanding. And why is that? Why is leaning on our own wisdom, our own knowledge, letting that support us in opposition to or opposed to leaning on God and trusting in him? What happens when we lean on our own understanding instead of trusting in the Lord? Yes, our own wisdom is faulty and God is perfect. But if we lean on our own understanding, we tend to become self-reliant, right? We tend to forget God. Like we've been saying, we tend to forget God. We're kind of leaning on how we understand things or how we want to do things, right? We start to deal with problems in what? Our own strength, right? Instead of going to him, instead of being like Hezekiah who laid it all out before the Lord, you know, what would a lot of people have done? I'm clutching tightly this coffee because I know I'm I'm gonna lose my voice here from talking, but um, instead of laying it out before the Lord, we clutch to our own strength and we would try to build our own armies to deal with Assyria rather than in the face of overwhelming difficulties going back to him, not leaning on our own resources, but trusting in the Lord. Because if we lean on our own understanding, the outcome often is anxiety, right? We get fearful, we talked about that, and we just feel stressed out too when we're not trusting in the Lord. But tell me, those times when you do trust in the Lord, do you have anxiety? Do you have fear? Do you feel stressed out when you're trusting in him? No, you have that peace of God, as Paul talked about, that passes all understanding. We know that when we're truly trusting in the Lord, we understand that peace that comes upon us because that's what he intends because it's looking to him trusting his name trusting his covenant love trusting everything he's promised for us and the holy spirit just gives us that inner strength and peace that we need trusting in him okay let's keep moving so how do we know that we are trusting him let's look at verse six In all your ways, acknowledge him. So what does it mean that we acknowledge him? Who said that? Oh, Joseph, you get the golden apple. (laughs) That's key, right? Because that's one of the biggest ways that we acknowledge God is we obey him, right? And why is obedience acknowledging God? Yeah, Jesse, good. Yeah, we're not relying on ourselves when we're obedient. We're, again, that's part of our trust in him. Yeah. Yeah. So acknowledge him, being obedient to him. I would also add living our wives in such a way that it shows we know him. Living our lives as lights in the world, in our service, that's acknowledging God. It's acknowledging that he rules in our heart, he rules in our lives. It's honoring him, it's serving him, it's worshiping him, that's acknowledging him. And I had here the last thing and probably the most important thing that was said is obeying him. It's obeying him. So what does the Lord promise if we acknowledge him? And I'm sorry? Yeah, it it is healing and refreshing. And he says he will make our paths straight. So what does it mean? What are our paths basically? Yeah. Yeah, he talked about ways previously, and I would say in all our, in all our ways acknowledge him. Uh, ways is probably our actions, the way, and that's the way it's used frequently in the Old Testament, our individual actions, the ways of a man, as Solomon says, with a virgin, the ways of so-and-so and so-and-so. But our paths is more the course of our, of our lives. So there's a kind of a parallel here between ways and paths, but straight paths are, in fact, in contrast to crooked paths, and how are crooked paths used in the scriptures? Who is characterized by crooked paths in the scripture? 
The sinners, right, the ungodly, the evil, they have crooked paths, they're wayward, their path is like this, they're going back and forth. And you know, that's kind of like, this, the New Testament metaphors would be the ship tossed about on the waves and the winds of every doctrine and all the things that happen to us in lives, it's tossed back and forth. And that's like the crooked paths in the Old Testament. Paths were very, very illustrative to them because that's what they walked on, right, were paths. Paths through the desert, paths through the mountains. And they knew the difference between a crooked path that led them all over the place and one that was just straight, the straight highway. And that's the contrast. The wicked man is on the crooked path, right? But if we acknowledge God in all our ways, we're trusting in him, he will make our paths straight. That is, he will make our lives and guide our lives in godliness and righteousness and holiness. This is why the Lord said what he did, I think in Matthew 6, the passage we read, that we're not to worry about all these things, but we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're to serve him, to love him, and trust him because we know he's gonna make our path straight in godliness and righteousness. We're just about at the end, and I wanted to read a, talk about just a few conclusions. And these conclusions, these are not my own. I just ran across these in my study of this passage. These are from a man named Kirk Wellam, and, uh, who's a seminary professor. But I thought these, I couldn't have written these any better myself. These are wonderful. So lessons in trusting the Lord. If we trust in the Lord, we will obey him as sovereign and Lord because we believe he knows what is best, right? We've been talking about that. God is all wise. He sees, he knows. He knows what is best. Disobedience and trust cannot coexist. If we trust God, we will walk in his ways and do what he tells us. <clears throat> I always think of that illustration of, you know, of um, Saul. When Saul didn't, he spared the Amalekites. And in the end, that was a huge sin. And what did Samuel tell him? Samuel told him, told him to obey is better than sacrifice, right? Because obedience demonstrates your love for the Lord. But if we trust in him, we will obey him as sovereign Lord because he knows all things. Trusting in God will help us wait on him when he delays or is silent regarding our prayers or the fulfillment of his promises. We just talked about this a moment ago. That's one of the hard things about trusting in God. It's like, did he hear? Did he, are the heavens just brass, as they say, but they're not brass. God hears, God hears, he always hears. But sometimes he has reasons for us to delay. We've, we see that, right? Looking back, those times when God's delayed, we often look back and say, you know, now I, now I have some idea why God didn't answer that prayer when I wanted it or exactly the way I wanted it. He had something so much better, so much better. So trusting in him helps us wait on him. If he delays, it's for a good reason. His actions are founded on his wisdom and love. That's what we have to tell ourselves. What happens to us in life <clears throat> is his providence and it's because of his wisdom and his unfailing love for us through Christ. Trusting God will keep us from taking matters into our own hands. If we know better, as if we know better than God what we should do. And the great illustration again is Abraham, Sarah and Hagar, there was that promise. Talk about waiting on God, where is this promised son? And Sarah, I'll just take Hagar and just have a son, right? Well, that didn't turn out too well, did it? <laughs> taking things into their own hands. That's why God has us wait on him. He has the better plan. If we trust God, we will not be afraid. We talked about this. Fear comes when we take our eyes off God and start to look at our surroundings. In life and when we pass through the experience of death, we must cling to him. We're a young church, but you know death is gonna come among us. And it's the glorious entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, but it's difficult, you know. We have to cling to this trust in God, though, that he is there every moment, up until the moment he takes us to glory and trust in him and not be fearful. If we trust God, we will be content with what he has given us. It's back to that Hebrews 13:5 passage, be content with such things as you have. He will never leave you or forsake you. We know what he has promised that, that, that he has promised to give good things to his people and that he holds back nothing. That's that Romans 8.32. He, he gave 
the thing that was most precious to him, his own son. Why would he not give us all things that we need? He tells us to ask him for our daily bread and to seek first his kingdom and we must believe that he will supply our needs one day at a time according to his will. So we go through this freeze one day at a time, trusting the Lord, he'll get us through it, right? We're not worried about tomorrow. We're not worried about Tuesday. We're not worried about all these things, these small things that come in our lives. And this is a good thing, I really like this. Those who know, those who trust God will act in faith, knowing who God is, what he has done and how his people have trusted in him in times of temptation, darkness, desertion, adversity and affliction as well as in times of joy and abundance. The Christian should be bold and courageous. In the words of William Carey, who knows who William Carey was? Missionary, great missionary, first missionary to India in the early 1800s. Oh, it's a life worth studying, William Carey. He's got great biographies out there, but William Carey was in a hyper-Calvinistic environment in England where people were trying to hold him back. If young man sit down, if God wants those heathens saved, he will do it, you know? And Carey loved Christ, and because of his trust, he had great boldness to stand up like Luther in his day and say, we must carry the gospel forward. Those who trust God will, and this is from his great sermon, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So we're also a young church that has a mission. We has a mission to this community, has a mission to this world, right? And we have missionaries already in this world. God wants us to be bold. He wants us to trust and to move out into this world. So... That's why we should trust in the Lord. So many things. And this is a rich thing to think about. So I hope this has been profitable and let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you. Oh God, it's, it's overwhelming to think about trusting in you, who you are. Thinking deeply, Lord, about who you are. We just cannot get over the fact that you loved us and gave your son for us. That that love will never leave us. You will never forsake us or leave us. And you will sanctify us. You will bring us to glory. Oh God, may that empower us. May that empower us as a body at North Lake to love and to serve, to worship, to glorify you. And may we reach out to one another with the arms of Christ in this trust and boldness, Lord, and reach out to our world. Bless us now as we go into worship and may our worship reflect our trust in you. In Christ's name, amen.